0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, a Forbes podcast produced by Fractal Recording. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're launching with two podcasts, both from Sir Richard Branson's private island in the Caribbean called Necker Island. After today, you can expect one new show every other week. For one of our inaugural podcasts, we're talking with Matt Rozak, the founding partner of Tally Capital and co-founder of new blockchain enterprise company Block, spelled B-L-O-Q, which aims to be the red hat of blockchain software to enterprise companies. Matt tells us what he's up to in the blockchain space, as well as his thoughts on other events in the world of blockchain. Hi, Matt Rozak. Thanks so much for coming on my show.
1: Thanks, Laura. Great to be here.
0: So um, here we are on beautiful Necker Island in my hotel room, which is also equally beautiful. Um, What's been the highlight of the Blockchain Summit so far for you? And it can be either personal or or not personal, but recreational or professional.
1: I think when you come upon this island, uh, you you see it from a distance. and It's it's this lush, green, beautiful island, and you see all these uh, different animals Flamingos and uh, lemur monkeys and uh, turtles, and you kind of realize that if if we were like movie producers, this would be the setting for this amazing island that uh, we'd want to make a movie in. This amazing setting
0: mm-hmm. and a great setting for a movie about people who are about to change the world.
1: Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, uh, it's such an honor to be uh, amongst uh, all these uh, folks from uh, industry and academia and uh banking and and policy it's uh truly uh, an amazing uh group of folks.
0: Yeah, and um I want to thank you in particular for coming during the recreational hour, but as far as I understand I think you have a fun appointment after this.
1: Yeah, I I'm, I'm kind of trying to get mentally prepared. I'm I'm playing uh Richard Branson in tennis right after this <laughs> and uh I just went to a gift to the gift shop to buy uh some clothes cuz I, I didn't really bring uh tennis gear and so uh trying to uh you know get ready for that.
0: Okay, well, good luck to you.
1: Well, actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, yesterday he played the uh, former uh, Prime Minister of Haiti, and uh, he's got games, so i uh, um, I I got a lot in store for me here.
0: Right, yeah, I saw. And for our listeners, I'll try to i um, give you the update later on whether Matt won or not. <laughs> okay, so let's get down to business. Tell me about your company. And um, I'm interested to hear about it the way that you might pitch it to somebody. Um, you know, in this case, it's our listener, but you know, maybe adapt it from what you might pitch to like an investor or a potential client.
1: Sure, um, and maybe as background. Uh, so, I've I've been in the venture capital business for the last twenty years, and along the way, co-founded six enterprise software companies. So, uh, in areas of HR, video surveillance, public safety, and really had a lot of broad exposure selling to enterprise customers. And and the opportunity that um, uh, was kind of the uh, the catalyst for Block uh, came about from uh, my experience in enterprise software. And then uh, over the last uh, four years now, I've invested in about 21 companies in uh, the Bitcoin blockchain ecosystem. So uh, lots of um, infrastructure players, um, uh, wallets, payment processors, exchanges, uh, one miner, and Bitfury, and gave me a really uh, interesting heat map of what was working, what wasn't working. And uh, uh, the white space that really uh, came about was this... Um, This march of the enterprise and blockchain. Uh, Every global bank on the planet has pronounced their blockchain strategy. Fortune 1,000 companies are looking at this space, much like they were looking at uh, internet in the 90s to say, "What's my internet strategy?" Now, every CTO on the planet is saying, "What's my uh, blockchain strategy?" And so, with that demand, with that interest, um, and seeing uh, the kind of evolution of technology, my co-founder and I um, saw this as an amazing opportunity to really think through and and uh develop these um the scaffolding layers, the software layers uh for um for enterprise uh customers wanting to uh manage blockchains and build blockchains. And so much like uh if we were developing a uh an internet stack of software and we said uh what do you need to 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 have to be online enabled and um, you know, kind of instincts would be um, content management, e-commerce, and you'd have all these layers of the onion that you would build out to enable people to uh, go online. And so much the same uh, where blockchain is, is just a raw protocol and most enterprise customers don't want to go to a lumber yard and pick out lumber and hammers and nails. They want finished product. They want f- They want platforms they could build off of and innovate and manage. And so that demand, coupled with what's um, happening in the ecosystem, which you have a lot of developers, lots of innovation, lots of companies that uh, are great products, uh, great features, uh, but we are are taking this sweet approach, this product stack, and delivering it in a way uh, in which uh, enterprise uh, software uh, has been delivered for the last 30 years to to, to, to this end user, which um, is productized, hardened, supported, maintained, and, and all kind of wrapped in a, in a service level agreement. And some of that is, uh, not, not an innovation to delivery mechanism to, to service, uh, these large, uh, global companies. But the innovation uh, that we're driving is we're taking, um, the font of innovation from, uh, open protocols like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, and we're delivering that in, in, uh, private blockchains and the blockchain management systems, uh, that these customers need. So, um, my co-founder uh, Jeff Garzik um, who uh, we actually had some of the kernel of the idea last year here at Necker Island, subsequently we had another meeting uh, about uh, block and um, one thing led to another and uh, given Jeff's experience at Red Hat for for over a decade, uh, it was a very natural intersection to say let's start this company and really um, kind of harness this uh, this demand and this technology." Uh, so it was very intuitive for us to, to get kicked off. And now we're about seven months into the ballgame.
0: So tell me why you chose to co-found Block with Jeff Garzik.
1: I think we uh, kind of found each other. Uh, I, I was uh, the director, uh, uh, Jeff's first board member at Dunvegan Space when he he uh, launched a company to uh, develop a software software. Uh, uh, system on a non terrestrial basis uh, with CubeSats, cube satellites um, and outer space, and then when we met last year we we saw this opportunity to um, build out this technology stack um, for the enterprise but Jeff uh, i mean he's a core developer he's been at Red Hat for ten years he's a tech visionary, and uh, starting the company with Jeff uh, was um, just an incredible honor and and we built the company uh, around his energy. Uh, we, we, um, started with people. I mean, and Jeff was the key catalyst, uh, to, uh, each and every hire that we've had. Uh, and that, 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 uh, really sets the trajectory of the company, the culture, the ethos. And, um, uh, you know, our first, uh, you know, 15 hires are going to affect our next 15 our next, you know, 60 hires after that. Uh, But we wanted to make sure out of the gate we had uh, the right people. And so Jeff has been able to attract some of the best uh, engineers in the space. We um, brought on board Andreas Schilbach, who runs the uh, Bitcoin J after Mike Kern left uh, the Bitcoin project. Uh, Now uh, Andreas is uh, managing that repository. He's the inventor of the Android Bitcoin wallet. We've got a guy named Paul uh, Storch, uh, who's um, kind of the, uh, the brains behind drive chains. And, uh, each, uh, we have, uh, Jordan Kruger, uh, first female data scientist in the blockchain ecosystem. So we've got uh, lots of amazing engineers, core developers, and, um, building out a, um, a great team, uh, at Block. And, and I, I kind of owe all that, uh, uh, to Jeff and, and kind of his, uh, energy that he brings to this ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I met both Jeff and um, Paul. And um, they they were both just so great and so funny. And I really, really enjoy talking with them. And how did you hear about Bitcoin and blockchain?
1: So in 2011, I was a co-founder of a social gaming company in Singapore called Viwawa, And if you're in social gaming in Southeast Asia, uh, you're dealing with payment processing in Philippines, Indonesia, Korea, Malaysia, all over the place. And there's a lot of friction in payment processing, and then you have gaming credits and all this stuff. And then Bitcoin came on the scene, and it was almost like, truly, it was like that's like magic internet money. How is that even possible? And then you realize that you could mine this, and that's like a digital golden goose. It's like it, it almost like I, I discounted it out of the gate because I was like, that's that's like uh, almost too perfect of a of a solution. And um, and so much like anything else, whether, you know, um, uh, Laura, I tell you about a favorite restaurant of mine that you have to try and like, okay, fine. But if 10 other people tell you, you're like, you're going to drop everything and, and, and go to this restaurant. And Bitcoin was much the same to me, where that was my first exposure. I kind of discounted it quickly. And then over the next uh, six to nine months, uh, I kept getting reference points of Bitcoin. And then so... Uh, by 2012, I basically, you know, I, I did what I tell everybody else is like, um, lock your door, turn off your phone and study this technology, learn about it and, uh, slowly got into the ecosystem and, and started investing in companies and quite frankly, building my, uh, education set in the space and engaging with amazing entrepreneurs, which, you know, certainly led to, uh, the journey I'm on with, uh, with Jeff Garzik at Block and, um, so it's a you know it's an honor to be a, um, you know a contributor in this ecosystem, and we got a lot of work ahead of us. So it's uh, it'll be fun.
0: Okay, great. I'm kind of curious. A lot of corporations are choosing to go with private blockchains. Many of them, you know, prefer that because it's maybe more the equivalent of like choosing to build an intranet. It feels safer. Um, why have you staked your business on public blockchains, which are more like internets? And are you finding that enterprise companies are reluctant to go that route? And how do you overcome their concerns?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's part of the phenomenon that we're seeing now. Certainly in the last uh, year, year and a half, you could not have predicted dynamics like uh, the, the march of all these banks or Ethereum coming from a, a crowd sale to now a billion dollar market cap. And, and so the ground shifts in this space and you really have to be prepared for that. And Uh, some of um, the common denominators, at least for block, is is part of our go-to-market is we believe it's going to be a a multi-token, multi-network, multi-chain world. And so private blockchains, like you uh, are are looking at uh, uh, rightly, is they're they're intranets. They are closed systems and uh, very purposeful because a lot of these industries, a lot of these companies are in highly regulated uh, industries. And they, they see the innovation. Uh, there's a regulatory framework that they have to uh, behave and play in, and they're conscious of that. Uh, they're also conscious that um, tech um, and, and uh, software evolves over time, so they need to, for the most part, get blockchain-enabled You know, and, and kind of jump into the pool and run financial, non-financial use cases and really start to uh, swim in this pool, this pool of innovation. And over time... You're going to see a constellation of chains, and and everybody has an opinion of uh, the Bitcoin protocol, uh, Ethereum, Hyperledger, R3, uh, SQuaD. Um, uh, chain uh, has an open source uh, protocol. Um, I view all that as innovation. I, I view all that as as an incredibly important stepping stone, an investment of time, energy, and money uh, to get this. Um, broader fabric, this broader blockchain fabric that we'll see, which in my mind um, will be a constellation of chains. We'll see lots of chains for industries, geographies, um, different assets. uh, But over time, uh, what what you could imagine is that there's got to be interdependencies. There's got to be connectivity, and that connective tissue is very important. Software that connective tissue is what's going to really create this uh, this network and this constellation of chains that'll kind of be the 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 money layer, uh, the data layer, secure and private data layer over the internet.
0: And so, are you saying that Block is creating that connectivity layer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 one of the fundamental things on on our go to market. So, the, the the font of innovation really comes from public networks. That's where developers want to change the world. That's where they wake up in the morning and say, "We want to uh, build uh, the, the new frontier of uh, uh, the movement of of money or data." And so, but you harness that in the way you engineer and architect uh, private blockchains, knowing full well that there is going to be uh, interdependencies and, and connectivity between public and private blockchains over time. So, you know, you might be trading something on a private blockchain and, um, everybody in that chain, uh, the traders or the market participants might, uh, uh, trust each other, may not trust each other. Uh, there might be auditors involved and they have to hash data to some public chain. So that could be verified by a third party. So there's going to be utility interdependency. And that's, uh, one of the most trivial examples, uh, of how they could interrelate. But. Um, The other dynamic um, that we will find with the interrelationship between public and private is security and what's truly a secure, immutable ledger and an unhackable protocol and and all these dynamics that play into that. And uh, if you're building a a private blockchain, that's going to have certain pros and cons in terms of security and and the use case that it's uh, trying to solve. Um, But if you could find a way to tether that private blockchain with certain security elements of a public blockchain, which has uh, much, much broader, uh, and deeper, um, uh, security benefit, uh, then the, this whole ecosystem really starts to, uh, build lots of momentum and steam. So, you know, it, it's, like I said, it's a, it's an amazing time of innovation and we're seeing lots of, uh, investment and, and, in, uh, innovation within, um, enterprise, um, Customers uh, every single day trying to explore this where it, where it goes. I think uh, it's it's going to benefit uh, the whole ecosystem. Uh, given uh, that amount of you know uh, attraction and, and effervescence and, and investment, that's good things come out the other end of that. Sometimes uh, things <laughs> things get scrapped and and uh, you find a new center of gravity and you and you and you move towards that. And that's uh, that's that's how things go. And you know when the internet was being developed, you know everybody didn't have. The right answers—they're gravitating towards certain elements, and then you—you kind of see um, gra- gravitational pull uh, around certain protocols, around uh, certain layers of the internet. And I think we're we're in the middle—not uh, even in the middle—we're at the beginning of that, uh, uh, vis-a-vis of blockchain.
0: Okay. So you guys also work on private blockchains, not only public ones.
1: Correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so who are some of your clients, and what are examples of projects they're using the blockchain for?
1: We're we're under NDA with lots of clients, but you know, from a uh, industry standpoint, uh, it's uh, no surprise. Financial services, uh, supply chain, uh, healthcare, and uh, uh, insurance has uh, been probably one of the, the brighter spots in terms of a propensity to kind of um, look at that industry and uh, uh, and make some significant change. Um, and uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the demand for uh this technology and and trying to figure out how it applies um uh to their internal business systems uh i, I think we're we're going through a phase of blockchain where uh it's almost like uh companies are you know and, I'll, and I'm going to give abstract examples these uh, none of these are customers but I'll give you like an evolution of what's what's happening now lots of lots of companies are coming to um uh what I'll call uh the blockchain peddlers, let's call it, uh, you know, uh, the chains, the block streams, the R3s, the uh, digital asset holdings, uh, the the gems, the the blocks of the world, and uh, most companies have uh, all these um, uh, folks in their lobby with with contracts and proofs of concepts. They're all getting signed up, and they're all testing, and they're all looking uh, to see what uh, what sprouts uh, some uh, some. Um, what blossoms, and then they'll start putting more water and sunlight on the ones that start to take shape um, and uh f- for the most part, lots of them are looking at ways and, and I'm going to give this abstract example of their Walmart and they want to uh optimize their supply chain they're going to say, "Oh, how do I get better days outstanding or inventory turns or a margin or supplier uh you know uh, finance uh, enhancements and that's kind of. I would say, optimization. And then some people will say, well, I don't want to be a Walmart. I want to be an Amazon. Well, Amazon is like a 20-year-old concept. Uh, the real benefit of this technology will be when companies say, I want to be an open bazaar. I want to jump over these traditional channels, these traditional blood vessels of of commerce or, or of finance, and say, I want to create a decentralized network. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's what blockchain is. It's, it's a, you know, a better name for it. From, from my standpoint, it's a it is a network enablement uh, layer. It's a network enabler, you know, and and you look at this from the heat map, even geographically uh, where China is as, is starting to become a major player uh, and investing lots of capital and time and energy uh, into blockchain companies and uh, uh, the space broadly defined and, and, you know, kind of the current state of play, you know, we're in the year year of the monkey, uh, but the current state of play uh, for uh, China and uh, Bitcoin blockchain is uh, all the stuff we read about. Where you know most of the mining happens in China, uh, most of the trading happens in China. But the entrepreneurs, uh, the the VCs, the multi, uh, the conglomerates, uh, the tech companies, uh, and the government are all very self aware that uh, the the real opportunity here is in the soft layers, the software, the data, and the applications that can be built on this. And and take that a step further from a a macro standpoint. You know how do you you know, if you're China or you're uh, in the EU and you're seeing the blood vessels of value today of traditional finance between SWIFT and DTCC and, and, and others where you want to leapfrog over that, you know, and just like uh, going into a developing nation and how landlines were, were leapfrogged to mobile, this is what blockchain can do to traditional uh, either business models or, or flows of, of, of money globally.
0: Okay, so there's a lot in the answer that I want to unpack. The first thing is, can you describe Open Bazaar for uh, listeners who might not be familiar with it?
1: Open Bazaar is a decentralized marketplace. So it's you know it's like a cooperative. uh, You know, it's like uh, the the other other analogy that you don't really hear about uh, in terms of blockchain. It's it's a cooperative. It's a technology cooperative. You know, you you um, you market participants all benefit out of that network that uh, that, that, uh, gets developed. And, you know, much like, uh, you know, I don't know, the, uh, cooperatives that we know of today is like, I don't know, true value and ACE hardware, you know, we're all cooperative. We're buying n- nails and hammers cheaper and, and we all benefit from that. Uh, in this case, um, you know, the, uh, what you're trading can be anything and open Bazaar is creating marketplaces and, and kind of decentralizing an eBay, if you will, you know, they've, they've, you know, to, to a certain extent they've, they've even taken the you know the silk Road model and uh, made it a, a 2.0 version of that in in certain ways and you know created this open source uh, marketplace and now we're focused on all the um, other value-added services around that marketplace in terms of how to help um, merchants and, and others uh, participate on that so I think uh, we're gonna see more more and more of those types of initiatives that's where I think this this technology really changes companies and industries and current, you know, participants that play in the middle, you know, whether you're an exchange or, um, you know, or, or a broker or, or otherwise. I think that's where this technology really, um, you know, creates, uh, you know, levels a, a particular playing field.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. So I'm curious, you were saying that, you know, maybe there might be a company like Walmart and then they look at this technology and they're sort of thinking, oh, maybe it can make us more like an Amazon. And then you said that for them to be really far thinking with it, they should think that, you know, maybe they should try to become an open bazaar. And yet when I look at open bazaar, I just wonder how, what is the business model there? You know, if you are essentially creating software that allows people to connect peer to peer, how, how are you going to make money from it? You know, cause the reason that, um, eBay is very successful is that they're constantly taking a cut. They're the central place to go. But if open Bazaar is just, you create the software and it allows people to connect with each other directly and you're cut out as the middleman, then why, why would a business go that route?
1: This, this is a great question, Laura. And this is actually, uh, you know, amongst other players in the industry, one of the, uh, the most talked about dynamics is what are, what's, what are the economics of a blockchain? So you're a blockchain enabler and you're setting up this, uh, uh, new way to trade, you know, uh, just say gold or whatever on a blockchain. And, uh, how do you make money as a blockchain enabler and, uh, a, a technology company here? And there's very, very, you know, uh, there's a variety of ways to look at the economics of that, whether it's a, a, a transaction fee as part of that network. Service. So the market participants say, you know, we're going to, um, go after this particular, uh, industry on a, on a private uh, uh, blockchain basis, and say uh, it costs X to get into this network, and it costs Y uh, every time we make a transaction, uh, or maybe the technology enabler uh, is one of the market participants, so you know it gets one of the uh, the benefits of a, of a seat, if you would, as a, at an exchange, uh, and these are you know would be new new kind of. Um, decentralized exchanges, uh, decentralized networks. and so. Wait, I'm
0: sorry, and when you say that they would be a market participant, it, it, like in what way? They would become a seller on their own network? Or? Uh,
1: if, if everybody uh, uh, on the chain has a one-tenth interest, maybe the uh, technology provider has one of those seats and, and it gets economics, the economic value of that. So the cost to develop it, uh, launch it, service it, is, is going to have... Uh, that technology enabler is going to have a, an equity interest in that particular, um, uh, chain or network, um, or blockchain.
0: Like what I'm not following is you're saying that like you can launch something like an open bazaar, which is a decentralized company. And yet people can still take equity in it.
1: Well, well, um, that's a public uh that would be a public uh marketplace, so yeah, it's just launched and market forces prevail. whoever wants to participate on that participates and uh, buys their goods or services cheaper and more efficient because there's no middle person on a on a private basis when you're saying we want to focus on this particular asset or this particular element then uh, there's certain economics involved amongst the participants uh because we're all trading gold and we're either the biggest banks or, 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 or what have you. And, uh, the economics for, um, uh, the technology enabler could be anything from a, uh, upfront fee, uh, transaction fee or, uh, equity in the consortium, much like, you know, quite frankly, R3 has equity in a consortium that it's built. And, and so it's not too dissimilar, dissimilar of a, of a concept.
0: Okay. So it's like open with a central actor.
1: Well, I mean, there, that, like that, that would be, a, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think there's pu- public networks like an open bazaar and there'll be private networks like, you know, a, a Corda, for example. You know, that's that's a private network that has market participants and R3 is one of the uh, beneficiaries of that in terms of fees or transaction fees or equity stake in that, uh, in that enablement layer. So there's different ways that uh, you could um, take a bite at the apple uh, on the, on the private side on the public side. So back to open Bazaar, you know, the, the uh, value added services around the edges of that network and some of the uh, concentric circles, uh, whether it's marketing or peer to peer lending or, uh, other merchant services that they provide, uh, for a fee. Um, once the network effects starts to take shape with, uh, open Bazaar, uh, I think that's the opportunity for them is, how they start, uh, building these, um, value added services.
0: Okay. Yeah. I did hear that, um, like one business that people could, uh, you know, that that they could have an actual business model with that generates revenue would be, um, to maybe provide reputation services on a decentralized marketplace, like open bazaar to say like, I can vouch that, you know, this is a seller with, you know, reputable ratings and stuff like that. Okay. So then I wanted to go back to, you know, what you were saying about China, which, uh, was pretty interesting. Uh, you, like you kind of made, a bit of a, um, comparison between what we're seeing with like the mining and the trading volume and then you, and then the startups, but I wasn't sure actually if you, or the startups and the regulators and et cetera, but I wasn't sure if you were making that between China and the U S or saying within China, there's this difference.
1: I think w- within China, there's that difference because it, it does have, um, uh, a strong ecosystem of mining, a strong ecosystem of trading uh of this new digital currency. And that, that's a phenomenon. That that is something that uh lots of people in China are have as a market signal that there's this new innovation. And by the way, we're the market leaders in you know mining it and trading it. And so that's kind of created this um uh dynamic where where people are exploring what else is beyond that. You know, even the, the mining companies there are saying, you know, these boxes with the blinky lights are not gonna last forever. Maybe there's bigger chip companies that and dive in, into this space for the next, you know, five or or ten years. And uh, but along the way, uh, what are the other um, uh, opportunities within this space? This, the soft layers, the connective tissue, the the data layers, um, the innovations in terms of how do you scale? You know, um, uh, the the Bitcoin blockchain. How do you do smart contracts with Ethereum? How do you do stuff with um, you know uh, the uh, public p- private ledgers, and so uh, you know the, the the signal that we've seen coming out of of China is that they're they're aware of the opportunity, and they're they're definitely uh, investing and innovating aggressively with uh, blockchain technology.
0: Oh, interesting. So tell me what what you think of kind of what my um, not super well reported observations are, which are that they're really interested in the currency, but when it comes to blockchain, I'm seeing more of that activity in the West, and yet you were. Saying that you see blockchain activity there,
1: yeah, no, I mean, there's uh, there's uh, an entrepreneurial, um, and investment uh, uh, momentum that's happening uh, outside of certainly mining and trading, and and uh, you're seeing certain uh, Chinese investors uh, making bets on on companies in the U.S., uh, starting companies in in, uh, in China, and um, you know, and even um, dynamics like China Ledger. Launched the six largest exchanges um, by the uh, ex CTO of uh, the Shanghai Stock Exchange uh, was launched uh, last month, and you're seeing you know China Ledger as a thing, as a market signal. Uh, there's no technology there. There's no you know um, necessarily uh, thing that was launched be- beyond a propensity to say let's organize an effort to explore this technology, and see how we can harness it for the benefit of this. Um, uh of, of this uh, trading environment in uh in China and so there's enough signals that have come out certainly over the last you know six months since the beginning of the year that have and, and you know we, we've been to uh Beijing and, and uh, Shanghai and Hong Kong and Singapore all over the region and uh continue to see that firsthand uh in terms of that uh, dynamic where the energy and uh focus on this on, on these other layers are 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 very um are, are happening so
0: okay yeah I mean tell me if I'm wrong but um, it just feels like um, they they are interested now like I, I am obviously aware of some of the investments they've made and are still making and um, but it feels like they're just a step behind and I have no doubt that they could very quickly catch up but that's my read on on things
1: there's enough signals from the beginning of the year to the untrained eye to see the the dollars the platforms uh the headlines and some of the other activities that are happening that um uh they're they're changing their game they're not just saying we're satisfied with with mining we're satisfied with trading we are going to innovate we're going to invest and we're going to see what the next chapter of this book looks like and not only what it looks like but let's also be participants in writing it because now they have um enough clout you know the, from the mining and trading perspective now they're 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 big participants as, as the discussions and dialogue uh, with um, the scaling dynamics in Bitcoin uh, China was was a very important participant at that table and will continue to be and so so there's a there's lots of um, you know some people uh, it, you know it, it either discount China or uh, don't have it as part of the discussion. It is part of the discussion. It is part of this e- ecosystem. Uh, it's a it's a global ecosystem, and uh, and so um, you know it's the, the more innovation, the more uh, of a global layer that, that we're creating with uh, with that specific public ledger, uh, the better.
0: And what influence do you think that um, China will end up having once they kind of get the blockchain stuff going? Um, you know, as far as I understand. Uh, in terms of peer-to-peer payments, they're far ahead of where we are. You know, it's a big part of the culture already. Um, I think in general, sort of this movement of money is like a big part of the culture as we see with the trading volume and, you know, just this interest in mining. Um, But, you know, now that they're showing interest in blockchain, where do you see that taking the development of of blockchain technology and and uh, Bitcoin?
1: Well, I, I think it's a great question to see what, what, what's what's going to happen uh, now with some of that, um, and and I think the peer to peer lending phenomenon in China, um, the mobile wallet dynamics, like uh, you know, the a lot of the innovations and the ways in which um, money is moved there is a lot more easy and frictionless than than uh, certainly the U.S. or other parts of the world. I think that stems from uh, some of the uh, lighter touch regulation. Uh, some of that is laissez-faire doesn't mean you know if if, uh, you know weird dynamics show up with you know either some um, fraud or hacks or whatever that regulation will come down for consumer a better consumer protection but for now there's a lots of there's lots of innovation on the the deck of a mobile phone in China if you look at that you see lots of peer-to-peer lending lots of digital wallets ways to move money messaging uh, apps that are they're innovating with with money and um That's uh, you know that's being done on scale. I mean, if if you look at some of the platforms with Alibaba or Tencent, um, those are being done at scale, and that's uh, that's exciting innovation because you know historically lots of innovation came from the U.S. or was uh, photocopied in China. Now we're seeing some innovations in China that you know can apply to the rest of the world, which um, uh, you know that's a different dialogue these days, and that's exciting. But you know, from the regulatory standpoint, I think that's a uh, it's a keystone issue in the, in our ecosystem. You know, it's it's a uh, something that I think uh, globally has been relatively laissez-faire. Certainly, the U.S. has been very welcoming to uh, Bitcoin and blockchain technology, and we see that continuing. Um, uh, the Chamber of Digital Commerce has done amazing work educating, advocating, and engaging with with regulators, not only three-letter agencies but members of Congress. And going on both sides of, uh, of the aisle to, you know, really uh, help regulators, policymakers uh, appreciate the, the the power of this technology, the potential of this technology. And and we're in the early days. So, you know, if, if you look at technology shifts of railroads, telephony, Internet, you, you always had effervescence. You always had uh, massive investments, whether that was a fear of missing out or, you know, innovation. But you always had... Um, Certain effervescence and 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 even bubbles uh, happening, and and that that's rife with fraud and and other issues, and then the regulatory pendulum sometimes swings. Sometimes swings a little too hard, and and that's where I think you know uh, platforms like the chamber um, help regulators, policymakers understand this technology, and really help calibrate that that pendulum so it doesn't swing too hard. Because if it does, that will usher in um, uh, an impact to innovation jobs and investment and, quite frankly, may uh, push that to other geographies. And, you know, the, the the debate is always, oh, is the next Wall Street going to be in Singapore or Zurich or, you know, um, and I always find that uh, uh, to be interesting. I, I, I think, um, you know, we've got a long way to go before we're going to see those uh, types of sen- sensitivities. I think this this uh, technology is s- super impactful, and, and we're not talking about Internet where you know, revolutionize commerce and communication and, you know, um, to, to build an app and share a picture of my, you know, cat or dog with you is, is one thing. But if I'm going to move uh, value, move money, title to my house, a $100 million of Apple stock or, or, you know, my digital identity or my health records, you know, those form factors, those trust factors for people uh, are way higher. And so the systems and uh, the engagement and the adoption of those systems is going to take a a, a, you know a slightly different uh, pace, but once it does, you could see the benefit and the kind of the 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 new you know again blood vessels of value and data movement um, getting really exciting.
0: So I want to go back a couple questions ago to what we were talking about with China, and we were talking about their culture of um, you know kind of just trading money more between each other and, um, and, you know, on their own uh, to to make money. Um, and, you know, you started to say that, or, you know, you tell me if, if this is where you were going, um, that we're seeing startups that are coming out of there that could potentially influence our behaviors. Um, and yet, uh, like, I have reported a little bit on this, um, and I don't, Pretend to be any expert on Chinese culture, um, but from the few you know people that I've spoken with, um, it seems like that really is a part of the culture there to do those kinds of things in a way that it's not in the West. You know, um, to to borrow money from somebody to go gambling or to come home from work and day trade. And so, you know, what? How do you see those startups kind of like bringing that culture here? Because I, I and you tell me maybe it doesn't need to be a culture change. Maybe maybe there's some value proposition that is just so obvious that once it gets moved over here, it will, you know, gain adoption.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, some of the ways in which uh, wallets and the peer-to-peer lending, and not sure exactly about the gambling piece, but some of those form factors and the presentation layers and the apps, quite frankly, that are developed there are very engaging. And they, they, you know, uh, they, they don't pop up here because I think a lot of those areas uh, crossover lots of uh, regulatory hurdles here for on the peer-to-peer lending side or certainly on the gambling side and so uh, there is you know regulatory friction in terms of, of doing that I see that dissipating over time uh, I think the notion of a digital wallet is going to evolve over time I think right now like Apple pay for example is is training wheels for the the next um, true mobile wallet and, and, you know, where you kind of manage your identity and assets and, and, uh, you know, not just, you know, your airline miles or a credit card that you, you know, kind of duct tape to your Apple pay account, uh, you know, real, uh, microtransactions and, and, you know, different, you know, peer to peer lending, uh, with, with, uh, different digital currencies and and the, the, um, the, the wallet, I think over time, uh, will become the, uh, browser of the blockchain the, the browser for your kind of uh interaction with uh, uh the world you know the the wallet will become your kind of uh, personal uh data layer where again assets and money and identity and all these things uh starting to come into play and and you know the, the identity model specifically tethered to you know a blockchain for example i think is one of the greatest use cases that we have right now we you know go into a uh a store to buy a pack of gum. And if you use your credit card, they might ask you for your driver's license. And right there, you've, you've given way too much information than you should have. You should have just said, my, my money's, you know, green or whatever, and uh, execute the, the transaction and leave. Same thing when you go into a bar, you're over 21. Um, you apply for a mortgage. It's a different uh, set of credentials. Uh, you get a job, different set of credentials, you go into a hospital, entirely different set of uh, of data that's shared. And so, this partition identity stack, this this wallet, this whole dynamic of our digital uh, ID on our on the supercomputers we have in our pockets is, I, I think, uh, going to have tremendous innovation uh, afforded to us by blockchain technology and the cryptography and, and all the, the benefits in that in that particular um, that data stack that uh, we call our identity and our and our digital wallet.
0: All right. So you have a lot of experience in um, helping to develop and investing in technology. What parallels do you see in the way that this technology is developing with you know what you've seen before, and how can we uh, how can blockchain companies do better this time around?
1: Well, I, I uh, it, it's it's pretty amazing in my lifetime. I've seen. Um, I remember uh, going to Kmart on my BMX bike and buying a Commodore VIC twenty computer and storing my programs on a, on a cassette tape that was connected to a, I don't even know what color, uh, screen I had, but I had that experience. I had a uh, mobile phone, uh, that was in a, you know, mini briefcase, uh, that was over my shoulder. It was a big brick phone. Uh, I remember using the internet, uh, when, you know, there was uh, pre-browser days where you had to go on uh, things like gopher. And so seeing, uh, tech in the early days, and uh you know not necessarily seeing the you know the ten twenty year um, benefits that it gave us uh, yeah, at those exact moments in time, uh, but now that I've seen some of the evolution, some of the ways in which uh, tech has really changed you know all of our lives, uh, when blockchain came on on my radar um, i kind uh, I, I, I immediately resonated with it in terms of the way in which uh, this technology is going to change. Uh, the movement of money—it's like uh, the, the true invention here is, is uh, for the first time ever, we have the freedom to convey data uh, or, or value privately and securely uh, for the first time without a middle party. So no bank, no Visa, no no B of A, and that's that's a big invention. That's a big thing. It's like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness t- type of uh, game changer. And so. With that and, and seeing technology evolve, everything from the early internet to, to where we are today, um, uh, I, I know we're in the early days of blockchain.
0: So um, since you deal with a lot of corporations, I'm curious, um, what are the problems you see in the way that they're looking to adopt this technology? What could they be doing better in their approach?
1: I, I think they're actually, given where the technology is, given where the opportunity is, they're, they're doing all the right things. They're, they're spending time, energy, and money and they're getting started versus, uh, you know, there's, I mean, there's two schools of thought, just like, let's wait, let's wait till this technology develops and let's, you know, call um, a big IT uh, consultancy or IBM or Microsoft. And then, you know, in five years, we'll just buy something off the shelf. That might uh, give them a competitive disadvantage. So I, I think, you know, much like the internet changed lots of, um, lots of industries, you know, newspaper, you know, uh, voice over IP communications. Most of the CTOs sitting in, um, companies today have gone through that. They've seen that evolution. They've seen that disruption. Um, and there's winners and losers at the other end of, of all of those transformations. And, and so, uh, there's lots of education going on. There's lots of experimentation going on and nobody has it necessarily figured out but everybody wants to be in a room and at, at the table and trying to figure out what's, what's the best uh, way forward. And, and you know, uh, banks have not had a great relationship with technology. I think when the internet showed up, they duct taped their systems to the internet. Um, then there were pressure tested in uh, 1999 and then uh, mobile telephony came out. So mobile banking was uh, a dynamic they had to, to react to. And then another pressure testing in 2008 and now, um, fintech has become in vogue for investors you know there 's new platforms uh, uh, on the on the table between mobile telephony and everybody having that supercomputer in the pocket to do things uh, that they couldn 't do before uh, blockchain technology, digital currencies peer to peer lending uh, robo robo uh, uh, investing uh, so uh, you know the bullets have have been whizzing by their ear, uh, and they 're very self aware of that now. It's like a machine gun uh, with all the the innovations in fintech, um, because fintech entrepreneurs are saying, before it was really hard to uh, build a, a company that's going to compete with a bank or an insurance company or what have you, um, but now the technology has evolved to to a point where they're they're uh, coming in on the edges or uh, doing innovative uh, approaches towards. Uh, solving a problem uh, which has never happened before. So fintech is in vogue right now. Bitcoin blockchain has certainly helped that uh, as a catalyst. But we're seeing, uh, we're all seeing the all, all these innovations on our on our iPhones um, that um, are 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 you know targeting the the status quo, targeting banks, and and uh, they're reacting in the way they should. They they need to innovate. They need to partner. They need to build a community, a fabric of of tech and and partnerships and relationships, and uh, they're doing uh, lots of the right things uh, in uh, sitting where they are. And, and you know, at the end of the day, banks they manage risk. That's what they're really good at, right? And so they they see this as a potential challenge, and and they're stepping up to the plate and investing and and trying to uh, evolve. And and the last piece on on that is, um, you know, human beings. You know, we we have, we have these. Uh, blockchain uh networks these trustless protocols which which is true and there's also a dynamic where you know as human beings we trust brands you know you know and and uh, sometimes we we, uh we trust uh brands uh blindly sometimes uh brands are evolving uh the brands 20 years ago or maybe not the the right brands today but we, we trust brands and and i just saw something that uh people stay with their bank longer than they stay with their, their marriage. You know, I think it was 17 years, an average bank relationship uh, in the UK, average marriage in the UK is 11 years. So it's, it's more of a, makes you kind of smirk when you, when you hear that, but people trust brands. And, and so that's going to take another, you know, trust factor and another element to kind of uh, disengage from, from that world and go into this next new digital world where there's a new brand that emerges that, that people are going to start trusting.
0: Um, Okay, so uh, the last thing I was curious about was what would you kind of recommend to enterprise that's looking to take advantage of this? Like you said earlier that, you know, we're going to see winners and losers under this. What do you think is going to separate the winners from the losers?
1: I I think technology uh, is a difficult animal sometimes to to, um, jump on and and harness and and ride sometimes because, you know, sometimes you do it too early. Yeah, you're too early. You do it too late. you're you're too late and here uh i think you need to get started i think you need to get engaged i think you need to uh, you know jump in that pool and uh, much like we all have a mobile phone in our pocket uh, and we're mobile enabled and now any new app that you recommend i recommend we could download we start using and then you know 50 100 500 million people start um you know messaging or sharing photos or anything on that app and i think um right now we, we we need to get um Companies and industries blockchain enabled, so they're ready for the innovations that happen on the horizon. You know, if we, if we were talking about building Uber in 1998, you know, we'd kind of be out of luck because a lot of the those layers of tech, those very important layers, and and it's like payment processing, uh, G, uh, GPS, um, iOS, all these uh, interstitial layers that have been built up and hardened. Some are invisible; uh, some people will n- never know about, but. That's what enabled Uber to be Uber when it launched, um, and we're, we're doing the same thing on blockchain. So all those layers to, to make application development, to make the the utility of the blockchain uh, easier, and and you know we don't talk about blockchain. We just talk about uh, we're moving uh, money or moving data. I have a digital identity, and oh yeah, it's secure, cheap, fast, and uh, you know th- th- that's that's those are the selling points. Not that it's SMTP or HTTP. HTTP or anything like that—that that doesn't sell to you know, certainly my mother or a brother or sister. You know, you have to really uh, make the use case um, shine uh, in, the, in the way it should. So,
0: so I saw that you've produced the rise and rise of Bitcoin. How did you come up with that idea and uh, come to do that?
1: Well, um, over the last four years, I I, um, I, I, I spray painted in the industry with with. Uh, 21 bets in the space. I, I've been an investor and that's uh, quite frankly, give me a good education on the space. So everything from, you know, investing to, to starting companies uh, serve on the board of BitGiv um, charity uh, in the ecosystem uh, was the uh, first financial sponsor of the chamber of digital commerce uh, helped produce the rise, rise and rise of Bitcoin. And, and so I'm very passionate about the space. So anyway, any way I could get into this from industry, philanthropy, advocacy, uh, arts, uh, i I gave uh, Richard Branson a Kilara coin uh, and uh, uh, that that 's a, a piece of artwork in the space of the physical Bitcoin, which is kind of funny because we 're talking about the movement of digital money and i 'm like handing out you know bitcoin uh, in a very analog way, but that goes to the storytelling in the space and and I, I think um, you know listen the, the, the Bitcoin blockchain is not an intuitive technology to wrap your 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 um, brain around, but, uh, the storytelling, the physicality of a Bitcoin, uh, and hearing that I think is always, uh, helpful when you, uh, kind of engage with people and, and want to talk about this, this new technology frontier.
0: Thanks for joining us today. For those of you who are curious about how Matt's tennis game went, and just to let you know, he's six foot five and athletic. He told me that he got creamed by Richard Branson, which gives you a sense of just how athletic and good at tennis Sir Richard Branson is. And I guess he also told Matt that he's been playing tennis ever since he bought the island, which was 30-some years ago. So that's probably why. If you're interested in learning more about Matt and his work, check out the show notes, which are available on Forbes.com. And please review, rate, and subscribe to the show if you like what you're hearing. Thanks again. You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast.
1: To learn more about our other shows, visit Forbes.com podcasts. Thank you.